You're listening to the Brand Boost Podcast with Vincenzo Landino. Oh, with me today is uh, Brian Fanzo. I'm sure many of you have heard Brian Fanzo on the podcast before. I'm pleased to have him on here again. Today we're talking about something that I don't even know if I fully understand sometimes. So Brian is going to explain it. It's called FOMO marketing. It, it, I don't know if it's a term that Brian has coined or have you? First of all, what's up? So, you know, uh, thanks for having me on. I'm, uh, of course, a, a brand boost probably fan. Should said, probably should have said, hey, what's up first. Yeah. No, you're there. good. No, um, no, <laughs> I'm excited to be on and uh, I love what you're doing on the show and uh, your consistency and dedication is impressive. You know, for me, um, FOMO marketing is, you know, this idea you know, I'm writing the book of millennial mindset, which is focusing about like a mindset that is about embracing change. It's not because of the year you're born. And, you know, and I'm the guy that jumps on new platforms and I find a massive amounts of value in it. But my strategy and like how people are leveraging these new platforms. Wait, you, you have strategy? Yes. Yes. Believe it or not, there's strategy behind what you're doing. Um, but that's actually kind of like the point is like, you know, people hate what they don't understand. They hate what they can't figure out or can't build a strategy around. But I actually think that most of them are doing it wrong by trying to put old KPIs or old metrics into something that hasn't been defined yet. So for me, FOMO marketing is something I created. Um, it's actually your audience is getting like kind of a sneak peek into it because it'll be a big part of what um, I kind of deliver at Social Media Marketing World in a couple of weeks where you and I will both be um, there on stage and, and really San Diego, my man. Yes, sir. So yeah, so really, it's really about how do I, how do I prove ROI? How do I find value in time? How do I connect to my community? How do I link it to my brand story? All the things that you talk about, but I'm, I'm, I'm focused on how do I do that with new bleeding edge technologies like the, the Snapchats, the Periscope, the, the Meerkat, Blab, Anchor, you know, all these new things coming out. It, the, there's an underlying mindset, philosophy, and strategy that works, but we're too busy trying to throw individual ones at it or throw old ways of doing it together. So that's really where FOMO marketing or the fear of missing out marketing came together. And I've always said I'm the guy that suffers for it voluntarily. And, you know, it's been a big piece for me as my brand. I help brands kind of understand new technology. So now I'm just putting more of a blanket around the whole conversation. So, you know, this, this whole FOMO thing, has a lot of people in a tizzy and I'm not here. We're not here to talk about other people, but there's a lot of people that don't understand why FOMO needs to be, I guess, accepted as an actual, uh, almost demographic, right? I think FOMO can be its own demographic. Now, if, if there's, I don't know if there's an actual way to identify FOMO. Many people will say, oh, that's millennials, right? Oh, that's millennials. Oh, yeah, millennials are all about FOMO. Eh, hold on a second. That's not true because anyone that listens to the podcast knows that I'm not the first to always jump or, and I'm by all the stretch of, in the age of being a millennial. But Brian, explain a little bit about who can benefit from FOMO marketing and Maybe explain a little bit about demographic. Like, how do you identify who that FOMO customer is? Well, you know, I think before, I think the age um, you know, we were living in, you know, let's say up until 2014 timeframe, I don't think FOMO or fear of missing out or jumping on new shiny objects was very important because I don't think new shiny objects were coming um, at us fast enough. And the rate that they were growing or being accepted was something that was something we needed to really track and understand. We could kind of wait till someone else kicked the tires. We didn't need to sign up for beta. We didn't need, you know, everyone just gets on there, you know, uh, well, there was sits none- on well, let's face it. There, I mean, beta, something like that didn't exist. Let, let's go back to, I mean, I'm going to go 
way back, let's go back to like the, even the 50s and 60s. I mean, something in beta, like it was, we didn't have access to it. We would never even known about it. Like now beta is, I don't want to say it's a public or not a public, but it's like more of a mass uh, understanding. But in 1950s, if you were like, oh, this is the beta of blah, blah, blah. You, most people would be like, what does that even mean? You know, so well, no, you're, that's perfection was the goal back then, right? Everything had to be perfect when it came out. The product had to be perfect. We're now reaching a, a time and age where we can't make it perfect because it changes so fast and we really don't even know the demographic well enough. So where now things are coming out and you're almost building them as you go. You provide a value and you actually allow people to be your testers. Your, you know, your, you know, the very first car that was coming out had to be perfect when it left the line. Now I like to say a lot of the great tools, a lot of the great companies are putting the Lamborghini doors on the car while you're driving it down the road based on the color that the audience is determining, not the color that you decided in the factory. And I think that's the chain. I mean, let, let, I love using this, um, this, you know, kind of linking this, but you know, the video camcorder, right? The one that went over your shoulder. My dad had it whenever I walked down the stairs for Christmas every year, he video, you know, and that was, you know, I did a little bit of research on the, you know, on the concept there. And it was, you know, it was started in 1976, the video camcorder. And in 2006, it finally started to phase out as like the camcorder being a, a thing. So 76 what to 2006. Well, what else happened in 2006? What happened in 2006 that phased out the camcorder? Oh, well, I think it became, well, video became something that was on not only our phones, but it also came something that was on your traditional DSLR cameras, your other cameras as well. But think of it this way. It was around for that long. But how long was the DVD out, right? The DVD, you know, it's still out there today, but it's not the not the leading platform of how we consume that kind of content. Now it's shifted to, you know, on demand like Netflix and things where that was only around for like eight years. So for me, the reason FOMO marketing is now a thing and something that everyone has to understand is the rate of change is at a thing that we've never seen before. We have never seen companies live grow, crush it, and die as fast as we are living now. We've also never seen people be willing to be on a platform or on a product, be advocates, be loyal, and have a bad thing or have nothing, something else come off and jump ship. And so what I actually think of it as FOMO is you don't have to be everywhere. It's almost impossible. You don't have to be on everything, but I do believe you have to be listening everywhere because when someone tells me my audience is not on Snapchat, I will say, how do you know that? Well, because I know my audience doesn't use it. Have you asked them? Have you researched? Have you talked to influencers about your target audience being 31 to 41 year old women? Did you know that the number one influencer of those is actually female teenagers because the moms of teenagers listen to their teenagers more than they do advertisements? And like, so those kind of things are what I believe in FOMO marketing is how do I educate people on understanding the value, the experience and what people are gaining there, and then making your own value proposition. I mean, I introduce myself as a change evangelist, not a technology evangelist. And the reason that is, is when I work with brands, I usually strip out more technology than I ask them to incorporate. And that's someone who is a massive geek and I love new tech. But usually we're throwing tech at people problems or we're not understanding the technology or even the platform. I mean, let's face it. If you're reading a book that was, that was written three years ago about Twitter and you're implementing those tactics today, you're doing it wrong. Twitter has changed. The audience has changed. We've changed how we're using it. So for me, what I like to think about and what I kind of like, like the phrase in this whole FOMO marketing is it's about educating, understanding, listening, 
and then making your own decisions. I don't think every brand should be on every platform or even every new shiny object. Maybe even some of the brands should wait two years. Like I've, I've said for a long time that I actually think, um, you know, like the, the Department of Defense and um, healthcare are probably going to be the most successful social media um, industries in three years without question, because we don't have to unlearn them of the last six years of all of us figuring out how to make it work. They're getting in so late that all the best practices are pretty much built for them and they can do email marketing correctly. They can do targeted ads. They can do all of these things that we were kicking the tires on along the way. So for me, that's kind of where FOMO fits in. And surprisingly enough, I'm probably the one that is um, kicking the tires of a platform, just um, delivering what the the features are of them, and then telling you it might not be the best fit. Uh, the answer I was looking for before about what happened in 2006 was the release of the iPhone, but I think iPhone. that was 2007 anyway. Seven. So yep. June of 20, 2007, so still right in that time period. Um, okay, I have... I read an article um, yesterday, was it? I think it was. Uh, basically, the, t- the title of the article said, teens don't mind digital ads, but branded content is much preferred to pre-rolls. And this was a study. And in the study, um, <clears throat> it said 85% of respondents aged 13 to 24 said YouTube was their go-to video service, followed by Netflix, 66% and then 62% television, Facebook, 53%. So we see teens uh, still spending time on YouTube and Netflix as their uh, go-to video. Uh, for other platforms, though, that were included on their Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and Tumblr were all included. What was really interesting is that 60% of the participants said they use Facebook for both social and vote uh, video purposes as opposed to just 40% who said they use it for social networking alone. So they're consuming content on here, right? Uh, We see Facebook moving towards this uh, content first. We're getting more of an organic feel on Facebook. Um, I guess my point here was that 58% of those said they don't mind watching ads and they actually prefer 87% 87 approved of product placement within a video. Brian, how does FOMO marketing or how does your understanding of FOMO marketing uh, tie into branded uh, content in ads as opposed to a straight up, you know, pre-roll like we see, like I go on to ESPN, I can't watch a video without watching a 30 second freaking ad. And I'm like, this is idiotic. If Toyota wants to put an ad, find a way to put a Toyota truck or something in the middle of the ad, right? Um, how does FOMO or your understanding of FOMO marketing help when it comes to branded content? You know, the thing about, you know, the reason if I think that so question many, even made sense because I don't it think does. it didn't make sense to me. I kind of like well, shaking my head right now. It's going to, it's I'm going to take it away that I think it does make sense. And I think part of that, what it makes sense now is part of the reason people get on new platforms. The reason, you know, the kids were on Snapchat early is because marketers aren't on there and their parents aren't on there. Like, let's be real. I like that. But you know what? The other thing is on there. The brands aren't on there because it takes brands a long time to get used to it. But the, the, the reason Snapchat, I believe is, is changing the mindset of advertising is the advertising is actually built native for the platform integrated within the story and is delivered in the same content form. You know, like I talk about the same one every time, but it blew my mind. I was at CES and I'm watching a 
a you know a Snapchat story that was you know put together by Snapchat with CES as a title, and it was the Drone Day. And you're watching all the drones and all the people test flying them, and all of a sudden you see a drone flying through a building, and then all of a sudden it comes crashing down, and it lands right in the middle of this store, and up pops the bus Best Buy logo, and it says we sell drones too, and then it goes into the next video. And right there, I was like, my goodness. Because not only was it not disrupting my experience, but it was integrated within my experience. It didn't polarize me. It didn't, like you said, you know, those YouTube, uh, those intro roles on YouTube, if those, if those ads were actually directly linked to the content that was behind it, sometimes you're going to get a lot of value there and we wouldn't mind watching it. Like the reason I love that Amazon targets me on Facebook on the side, they tell me, to, Hey, Brian, your Converse shoes are in your, uh, in your cart. Go buy them. The reason I love that is because they're providing me with what I want. Right. But I think the old way of advertising was we're going to disrupt this. We're going to we're going to control their experience for 30 seconds before they can consume what they want. The reason that I think that that study has very interesting is there isn't any of those ads in Facebook. Right. You can't run an opening role like that on Facebook on a, on a Facebook video. Therefore, Facebook videos. You know, right well, now. Right yeah. Now. Well, yeah. Right now. And so I think that's an interesting piece where if I'm going to watch a BuzzFeed video, I'm going to watch it on Facebook. Right. Like as soon as I go to look for it, I'm going to go. If someone was talking about it, I would say, I'm going to go to Facebook. That reason is because I don't know what ad they're going to serve up and disrupt me on YouTube. And I think this Snapchat element now is let's control it. Let's make sure it's part of the experience. And ads need to go from disruptive to part of the experience, right? That's the, that's the old way, like commercial. What, nobody watches a commercial now. As soon as a commercial comes on, if you happen to be watching a live event, like the basketball games, you look down your phone, you're tweeting and following the hashtag. You're grabbing a drink or a beer, or maybe you're Snapchatting your own conversation about it. Shoot, some people might be jumping on live stream and talking about it to, the, to their fan base. The last thing you're doing is watching the thing that's interrupting the, the event that you want, you want to consume. And I think that's the new mentality with Snapchat. And I think Snapchat's doing an amazing job with ads. I would love to see Paris and some of these new live streaming apps allow the user to integrate some brand messaging and some things like even if it was a scroll along the top that had an actionable link. I think there's some ways that you can not disrupt the experience, but add some value to the, you know, the, con- the consumption of that content. Um, you know, so I'm going to present, not even present, I'm just going to kind of not argue, but uh, why would... And, and maybe you can't answer this. Maybe in your answer, you just answered it. But why would brands or marketers still argue that having control over the viewer, like you said, that 30 seconds ahead of time is better than branded content? Like, is there any way that anybody can make a solid argument nowadays like you said there's so much the speed of technology is is too fast the speed of um the way we consume our content is far too fast for for us to waste time watching something so what is there any argument on the flip side do you have that kind of like i can see the other side of that or no there's one massive argument it's it's the easiest to measure and gonna show you the numbers you want to see the most like th- this is the, the sad piece of it, right? Because if you're relying relying on an ad that is placed within the content, you're then at the, the liberty of that content to hold that person's attention until they get to the middle of the ad, right? The other argument is I'm going to get that right up front and they have no chance of seeing that content. Therefore, I control that. But here's the thing. Those numbers are misleading and wrong, right? The fact, I know you do it probably the same thing as me. As soon as I see that YouTube, uh, you know, the pop-up, the, you know, we're, we're bashing on YouTube. There's lots of them, the channels that do it. As soon as I see it, 
I immediately go look at something else or I'll even go get a drink and come back and I see that little thing. It's like, skip the ad now. And I hit skip the ad. So I, I think measuring that as saying this ad was solved by this many people keeps those people continuing to do it. But I would actually argue if, if it's placed inside the right content, when those people consume it, it's the right audience and probably going to make the right decision rather than every audience that you have no idea what decision they're actually leading towards. So I, I see the argument of a marketer saying, Hey, I'm a CMO. I have to keep these numbers. I can't go in back into my boss and say, we're going to get a 40% drop in our views of our ads. But I, I, I'm going to hope that these people that are viewing the ads, the 40% less are actually a more educated user and more of our targeted demographic right now. That's, that's the, that's the hard sell for any CMO because that's, wait a second. I want more eyeballs. I want, cause we're still, we're still talking about, you know, billboards and commercials. Whenever we start getting off of billboards and commercials and we start getting into acquired attention and niche audiences and people that are actually your targeted decision makers, that's when you'll realize that that role ad at the beginning isn't providing you the value you ultimately want. I can't remember the last time I watched, actually watched a pre-roll ad. I mean, for me, I like wait for, I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for the thing to come up so I can click it. Yep. Pass through it. I'm just like, okay, done. Um, yeah, so I mean, listen. It, in closing, if you were to pitch FOMO marketing, because I mean, I don't know if is, is FOMO marketing an actual term. Like, are people using this term? Maybe I'm uh, stupid right now. I believe I just coined it. So, um, and I believe you'll have a website and an entire community that'll be live very soon around FOMO marketing. So but, uh, if you were to walk into a, any company tomorrow, any old school kind of like, let's not take a progressive brand, right? And nobody that's being progressive, if you were to walk into their offices tomorrow and say, I have this amazing concept for you, 30 second elevator speech, what would you say is FOMO marketing? So for me, I look at it and say, you know, Hey, I, I never talk about tools whenever I'm pitching anything. So I look at it and say, here's the thing. Do you believe in the, in the importance of storytelling? Do you understand authenticity is on the rise, the more noise and more technology and more digital assets we have? Do you want to engage and understand what your audience is? Most of the time that answers me. Yes, yes, yes. Because that's what people want. My question comes back to, do you know where they're at? Do you understand their, their behaviors? Allow me to help you decide not where they're at today, but where they might be tomorrow. And then ultimately where those, not only where they're going to be at tomorrow, but for you to be a leading voice there tomorrow. So a lot of what I'm presenting is more of a mindset, mindset shift on, you don't have to draw, drop a call to action for the first three months you're on a new platform because you have this new mindset. But you know, by being an early adopter at month three, when you're dropping a call to action and every other brand's getting on there late and saying, why is nobody clicking on mine? You built up that rapport. You were the early one. You helped people do that. So a lot of FOMO marketing is understanding the value of helping and engaging with an audience as they're learning as well. And I, I will always say, nobody will ever say you're helping too much or providing too much value. I encourage you all listening to tune in to our next episode because tomorrow we will be releasing another episode with Brian Fanzo where we talk a little bit more about jumping on these platforms early and uh, specifically we'll talk about Snapchat and some live video. Uh, Brian, thanks for jumping on, man. And I really appreciate it. You could find Brian at iSocialFans everywhere. Is there anywhere else we could find you? Nope. I social fans everyone anywhere. I would say stay tuned to FOMOMarketing.live. FOMOMarketing.live. There was a little bit of audio difficulty there. Hopefully it came in on the recording. If not, Brian said, stay tuned 
to FOMOMarketing.live. Brian, we'll talk soon, bud. Cheers. This has been a VincenzoLandino.com production. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Brand Boost podcast, please give us a rating, write a review, or subscribe. Head on over to BrandBoostCast.com forward slash subscribe. 